So welcome to week two of our teaching series that we've called The Gathering. Uh, In case you weren't with us over the last few weeks, we have been reflecting on the fact that there are spiritual disciplines and habits that we can form as Christians. So we went on a five-week journey throughout the start of this year looking at those habits. And we're looking at this new thing now, uh, trying to identify... Uh, why we do some of the things we do as a church. So not just as individual Christians, but coming together as a group of Christians. Now, if you don't usually go to church, I'm hopeful that there will be some questions answered along the way. You might have questions about why we are who we are. Why do we do what we do? Why do we spend time in each other's homes? Why do we give money? Why do we take communion? Stuff like that. And so we're going to be going through over the next few weeks, answering those very, very reasonable questions. And if you've been following Jesus for some time now, I'm hopeful that this series will give you fresh vision as well for what you're part of and why you're part of it. Because identifying what you're giving yourself to in life is a very, very important discipline. Now, we're basing much of the explanation of this through looking at the book of Acts. Now, I'm a fairly big fan of the Bible. That might not be a surprise for you to hear. Um, But I would say, if I had to be pushed to it, that the book of Acts is my favorite book of the Bible. In a nutshell, God basically uses that book, the Acts of the Apostles as it's known, to tee up what the church can and should look like once it's received the Holy Spirit. So by this stage in the Bible, Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the tomb. He's walked among his people for 40 days. He's ascended back to heaven. And at that stage, his disciples are scratching their heads. They're wondering anxiously what is about to happen. And then God sends his Holy Spirit to be upon them, to dwell in their hearts and help them to effectively live and help to effectively function as God's chosen people on earth. Now, do you know what Peter does as one of these new recipients of the Holy Spirit? One of his first reactions, it says in Acts 2, verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven, so among the other disciples, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. This is him preaching now. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Peter starts preaching. This week I'm going to be exploring why we preach. So we gather for about 90 minutes on a Sunday every morning And about a third of that time is spent by listening to somebody share a message from God's word that has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is not something that we are making up as we go along. It's not something that's off the top of our heads. As a team of preachers at Everyday, we've spent time in God's word and and time in God's presence. And what comes from that is something that we believe has been shaped and sent by him. Because the reaction to God's love a reaction to an encounter with Jesus, a revelation from the Holy Spirit, results in wanting to tell people around us about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's obviously very big on God's agenda as well because we see that it's one of the first things that Peter does when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, he starts preaching the word of God. He actually, throughout the book of Acts, there are 24 speeches. There are only 28 chapters in Acts alone, but 24 times people start preaching the word of God. And he equips Paul as well, another person who's newly filled with the Holy Spirit, 
he equips him with a fairly punchy command that he shares with one of his friends, Timothy. So Paul writes to this guy, Timothy, uh, a couple of times. And in the second letter that he sends, helpfully called to Timothy in the Bible, Paul writes this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, the theories and, and sets of principles. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, in case you're wondering, they're fairly direct prompts and commands from Paul to Timothy there. And they're no less true for me and you today. So let me strip that back a little bit and explain where I want to go and what I mean by that. So we teach the word of God. We preach from the Bible because it filters and it feeds in any given week, you and I are bombarded with information. You don't even have to look far for it. Thousands of messages, advertising slogans, billboards, text messages going off in your phone, on your phone the whole time, social media feeds that just get flooded with thought and opinion, blog articles, pop-ups on websites, all that kind of stuff, you name it. It's a constant barrage of information and thought and opinion. So much of it is not helpful and we're not sure whether it's true or false. It's really, for me, it's mind absolutely mind-boggling. And most of it's accessible in our pockets right now. If you've got a mobile phone, you've got all the information you could possibly need right in your pocket. And you think, man, how on earth do I process all of that? I don't even know where to begin. It can feel over overwhelming, right? Well, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that God has spoken. And his tone is gracious. And it's not a word that changes or moves position in the chaos of this age of information upon which we live right now. There sits a book and the author is holy. A creator who created the whole of the universe and created it and then sustains it doesn't remain silent either. He spoke eternal truth and worked through everyday stories of faith resulting in a final word, a final instruction given to a deeply confused world. Have you noticed that we, we live in a world that's becoming more confusing and more confused? So now I can, I can maybe read the thoughts of somebody from the other side of the world at the drop of a hat. But that hasn't simplified my life. That hasn't helped me to process my thoughts very clearly. It's just jumbled a lot of stuff in there, to be honest. And my reasoning and my emotions are often a failing compass. They're a really poor guide most of the time. So we speak from the word of God because you and I desperately need to uh, discern absolute truth from which to, through which to filter life. We so need it. Going with what feels right, going with what feels comfortable, often isn't God's best for us. In 2 Timothy 3, so a bit earlier in that letter, verse, verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, All scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture, including the stuff that's hard to stomach, including the stuff that might be difficult to palate, including the stuff that might contradict our upbringing or perhaps our experiences. So do I understand everything that is in God's word? No. Does everything he's said and everything that he has instructed make sense to me at any given time? Definitely not. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 16 that to follow him means for us to deny ourselves. I love that word, deny ourselves. So oftentimes we'll have to block and we'll have to override the objections and the doubts and accept, or, or better still, trust that he knows more and he sees with a perspective that is better than ours and it will always be better than ours. And as we allow what he's said and demonstrated to have access to what we say and what we demonstrate, we find peace in life that is unsurpassable as we are thoroughly equipped. Like the word says, he wants to thoroughly equip us. Now I find this simple illustration helpful. I think about it quite often. Imagine if you have a sieve, like a, a strainer, and you put some fruit into that to wash it. You put them under the tap to clean through. So the water passes over the grapes and the, the strawberries and the apples, and they're washed clean to prepare them for the next stage. Well, do we expect every truth from God's word to stick every time? No. Do we expect it to be fully explained in perfect measure? No. Goodness me, I've listened to so many incredible teachings over the years where a couple of hours later I can't remember much of it at all, if I'm being honest, even if it was exceptionally good. I've been incapable of recalling everything, even just a few hours later, but it has washed over my heart and my mind with the, eff the effect of renewing and cleansing and shaping my character and my thinking to become a little bit more like Jesus than it had been before ready for the next week, ready for the next season, the next stage. Reminding me that not only can I still know God, but I am still known by him too. We preach because it filters through our lives. We do so as well because it feeds and fuels our faith too. You think of any area of your life. If you've had a busy day, you're going to need to have sleep quite soon. If you've been eating badly, you've been eating a lot of junk food, you're going to need to have some fairly good sustenance after that. If you've been drinking too much alcohol, if you've been drinking too much fizzy drinks or caffeine, you'll soon need to take in some water. You hang around people who are discouraging, pretty soon you're going to have to hang around people who build you up and encourage you in life. Now, if your physical life and your emotional life need fairly constant and rapid maintenance, you can be sure that, us, that your spiritual life does as well. And that's why we speak a lot about daily discipleship and cultivating personal habits that build faith and help us to connect up with God throughout the week. And then so what you hear on a Sunday when we're, when we're preaching God's word simply supplements what you've been feeding yourself throughout the given week, Monday to Saturday. Faith needs to be fed. And this ties really closely with the fact that preaching the word of God helps us to be free as well. We preach because it frees. 
Now in the verses that I mentioned um, earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warns Timothy, he says that people are going to have a natural disposition to turn away from truth and start adopting myths and other things that, that help justify their way of thinking or perhaps uh, suit, help suit their lifestyle choices. They'll, they'll put people around them to start bigging it up and, and helping it to be more accommodating or justifiable. Now, I'll be honest, my, my natural desires are pretty ugly. I'm willing to share that with you. My natural desires, my natural disposition binds me to things that pulls me down. It trips me up. It restricts joy. It stops me from discovering real life. I'm just being real with you. You, know, you, you and I are too weak to go alone. We need the help. Matthew 9 says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Proverbs 5 reminds us as well that a man's ways are in full view of the Lord and God alone examines all man's paths. I am so glad that my Lord has his eyes on my life, my whole life. Left to my own devices, I make some terrible choices. Like a child in continual need of direction and affection, just continual guidance from a loving parent. I need shepherding, I need guiding, basically in any area of my life. And because God, his word says, he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for me, by his incredible grace, he has, he has given me a set of instructions and a set of ways of living and thinking that I need to know, otherwise I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be harassed and I'm gonna be helpless. So the word of God teaches us about how to handle our finances, how to spend our spare time, how to work effectively and efficiently, how to raise family, how to serve other people, how to understand identity, how to rest effectively, how to forgive. There's instructions on all of it in the word of God. But you know, best of all, God's word reminds me and it reminds you that we are loved. And that because Jesus lived and died in my place, in your place, you and I no longer need to search for and strive to achieve that affirmation and that, the weight of that approval that we might search for elsewhere. 1 John 3 says that the Father has lavished, I love that word, he's lavished, great love on us, his children. Galatians 2 reveals that you and I can live secure in Jesus who loved me and gave his life for me. Jeremiah 13, God says, I love you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Being regularly reminded that God loves you and that he has overwhelming favor and delight over your life is a huge, enormous foundation upon which to build life on. We preach about the promises and the plans of God because it frees us from a life of continual guesswork. I don't want to live a life of trial and error. I don't assemble Lego with my children without referring to the instruction, the, the manufacturer's uh, guidelines or instructions because what would come of it would look ridiculous and unlike what the manufacturer, manufacturer had set out to create. I want to build my life on what my manufacturer has said. 
So did you know, he, d- he doesn't bring out updated instructions over your life. He's not running out of inspiration. He's not in need of a redraft. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, because it still works. The gospel is unchanging, and it's unstoppable, and it is unrelenting. And in a world of enormous change, where you're just getting barraged by thought and opinion and moving things in front of you, his promises and his commands shouldn't make you feel limited or controlled, but it it just provides us with a wonderful sense of liberation to know we are being led by and shaped by the Good Shepherd. Preaching from the Word of God as well frees us and enables us to turn from our sin as well. It's not some pep talk, it's not like a set of self-help uh, guidelines that we can use to, to pull our character up by, but because of the power and nature of the Holy Spirit at work in our gatherings as we gather together, a message that is prepared by one person and spoken over a crowd of people can touch different mindsets and different experiences and bring illumination to patterns of behavior across a whole crowd, usually without specific names being named or even uh, individuals being singled out. A word can be preached and it will go and unlock stuff in individuals' hearts because the Holy Spirit takes public statements and interprets and translates them in the correct way for a personal conviction to come. So I say the word conviction. I'm not talking about condemnation, conviction. There's a huge difference. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God does not condemn us, but he alone opens up the core issues of who we are to bring healing and wholeness. He's the only remedy and he's the only one with the authority to have access in our lives in that kind of way. And part of that happens through our attitude towards what he has said. So in Acts 2, when there's this crowd of people hearing Peter speaking for the first time in public, preaching the word of God for the first time, it says that they were cut to the heart and they repented, they surrendered their life, they, they gave their lives to Jesus as their Lord and Savior based on the fact that that one man had been speaking over their lives. So I want to ask you a question and it's a big one. I wonder how willing you are to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit through the messages you might hear as you gather with your church on a Sunday? What part of your character or what part of your history, what part of your conduct is Jesus not allowed to be Lord of at the moment? Better still, I'll ask it in a slightly different way. And this is probably the best discipleship question that I could possibly have ever been asked in my life. What one area of your life would you least like the person next to you to know about? Because that's often the one thing or the next thing that God wants to actually go to work on. That's a huge question. It's a dangerous question to ask, but it's a very, very good one. I ask it of myself all the time. What one area of your life do you least want the person next to you to know about? My experience has been this, that when, when God convicts me of something within my life, when he places his hand on that area of my character or my, con- my conduct, he wants to restore it and he does so through his power. That behavior, that, um, that mindset 
which you might think is impossible to walk in freedom from, he makes happen. Because he's not written you off yet. I was recently in a gathering of leaders, uh, a new ground gathering. So we're part of a wider group of churches called New Ground. And just a few weeks ago, I was listening to some teaching at a leadership conference. And the, the person teaching was sharing from an account in the Old Testament about when the people of God had been compromised. There had been an enemy who had got into the city, um, infiltrated their city through the waterway on the outer wall of the city. So it's quite an unusual thing. Quite a, in my context, that was a difficult picture to kind of imagine. But as the story was being un, unraveled and, and spoken about, I felt the Holy Spirit reveal, or better still, expose an unhealthy dependency that I'd been developing to something in my life. Now, I know what you all think you're wondering what that thing might be right now, so I'm going to put you out of your misery. Specifically, a dependency that I developed to social media. I'd been wasting loads and loads of time on Facebook and Instagram, like an embarrassing amount of time. I, did, I wouldn't want the person next to me know, to know how much time I'd just been squandering through scrolling on, on those websites. In a moment, the Holy Spirit used that slightly unusual illustration from a fairly uncommon part of Scripture to highlight to me that there had been a pattern of behavior that had been demonstrated that in my life that wasn't doing me any good and would only get worse if I didn't hand it over to him there and then. That sense of voyeurism, the sense of escapism that I might have been trying to find, that, that sense of affirmation when you try and get likes or you're tr just trying to develop some kind of persona on, in another place that that has, is an unhelpful platform sometimes. I was just giving myself to it. And he said, no, I want to I heal you from that. It's not doing you any favors and it's only going to get worse. I didn't feel condemned, but I did feel convicted. And so I prayed with someone and I handed it over to God. And over the last few weeks, I've not gone on those sites. I've, I've, I don't need them anymore, but I, I feel so liberated knowing that, that God has taken it from my life and healed it and made me feel whole again just off the back of a gracious prompt from the Holy Spirit as someone was preaching. It was an area of my life that he hadn't been Lord over and now I can say that he is Lord over it. I have greater freedom in my thought life and greater freedom in my time being spent stemming precisely from that moment. So like a, a, a really careful sur surgeon who's, who's trying to wield a scalpel over a part of somebody's body that, that is unhealthy. God wants to take stuff and cut it cleanly from our lives to bring wholeness and healing. doesn't matter whether it's in our hearts, our minds, our souls. He wants to make us more like Jesus and he does it very carefully and very, very, very compassionately. So when God prompts you, how urgently are you going to respond? His grace over your life is massive. And that which he reveals in a moment, through someone teaching perhaps, is for your blessing and shapes the understanding that you have towards his love for you. And finally, we preach because it fuels. It's the last, last of those four. We preach because it fuels. Did you know that if you've given your life to Jesus, we're on mission together. You're part of something truly incredible that spans every nation, culture, socioeconomic backgrounds, everything coming together for Jesus' glory 
and it just keeps on going. The good news of Jesus just keeps on going and going and going. Now, I think there's somewhere in the region of 2.3 billion people alive on this globe today whose lives have been changed and whose lives flow now with his story. It's just, I find it so compelling. I find it so captivating to know that I get caught up in something bigger than my own life, bigger than myself, that I can live out and I'm invited to live out an adventure together with other believers on mission. It fuels me to hear about it. So we spend a couple of hours together on a Sunday morning. We, we gather for a couple of hours during the week within our life groups. And preaching one message over one people unites and aligns us with vision and hunger for the mission. And then the rest of the time we might scatter off into our own di different little sections or different uh, places of influence to demonstrate the love of God to a world around us that's so so desperately needs to encounter it. So hearing the word of God preached stiffens my spine. It gives me courage. I, I'm so grateful. I just want to publicly acknowledge, I'm so grateful for Fillmore's teaching, the way that he has poured his life into the word of God to then see it flow out to many people and helping them understand what God has said and what he's calling over their lives. I think it's incredible. He is seriously one of the best Bible teachers out there and we get to be shaped by his teaching all the more often as a church. It's incredible. We are so blessed. And this stuff that we teach every Sunday isn't serving to mop up, but it's serving to build up, to raise up. It's meant to give us courage. It's meant to give us a global vision for God's people. It reminds me and you that we've been saved from our old ways of living into a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of processing the world around us. Saved into a new hope that will never fade, it will never spoil. I've listened to thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of preaching the good news of Jesus. I still can't get enough of it. I just think it's incredible that we get called into this together. You know, the, the biggest closing statement, or imagine like the biggest mic drop moment in all of history takes place with Jesus. After he's walked out of his own tomb, like he's walked out of his own tomb, out of the darkness, back into light. He says this statement that is just incredible. He shares his great commission. So in Matthew 28, we see that Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you as you go. Man, regardless of your levels of faith as you started hearing this message 25 minutes ago, you need to know that your very purpose, your very, very purpose in life is wrapped up in these very promises spoken from Jesus. He still speaks it over you. As you're trying to love and serve your co-worker, as you're trying to raise your family, as you're trying to connect with people, maybe at your sports club or at the school gates or wherever you spend some of your free time, if you're trying to connect with your neighbour over the fence and just trying to work out faith in the world around you, he still speaks it saying, all authority 
is given to me and I'm with you and I'm sending you and you're to make disciples and I'm never going to leave you as you do it. He still speaks it over us. How are your words making disciples right now? Next week, how are your words going to make disciples? Because the Great Commission is followed by the Great Ignition. When God speaks these things, as Jesus commands these things over his people, they, they are ignited and the world has not looked different ever since. Sorry, has not looked the same ever since. So we teach off the back of that every single week because nothing else will stir purpose. Nothing else will will provide love and compassion to the world around us. I've yet to find anything that compares to those words. By God's incomparable grace, we have the words of life in a book and subsequently on the tips of our tongue, helping the world around us to filter through truth from lies, feeding faith, bringing freedom from sinful ways of thinking and behaving and fueling our calling as disciple makers of Jesus. That is why we preach. To answer the question, that is why we preach every time we gather. Now preaching also fuels our worship, so I'm going to get out of your way now. I'm going to hand back over to the meeting leader because when I hear the word of God preached, it just fuels my worship. I want to start singing truth back to, back to Jesus So I'm going to move out of the way so that you can continue doing just that.